The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals presents the timeless teaching of Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. There's a story of a missionary who sailed from Liverpool for the African coast, transshipping at Lagos to a coastal tub that stopped at the fever-infested spot where he was to pour out his life for the Lord Jesus. On board ship, a trader expostulated with him for thinking of getting off the ship at his horrible destination. He said to the missionary, Why, if you go to that place, you'll die. The man of God replied quietly, I died before I left London. Now that's the secret of being baptized, identified by the Holy Spirit's placing us in Christ. Over a half a century ago, the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, then pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, saw the need to spread God's word beyond the hearing of his local congregation. He started the radio outreach, which has become known as Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible. The application of God's word as taught by Dr. Barnhouse is as relevant today as when he first taught over the radio airwaves decades ago. The message we will be featuring on today's edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is entitled, Baptized into Jesus Christ. Years ago, there was a popular song called, Little Things Mean a Lot. When it comes to in-depth Bible study, little words often mean a lot. We can easily overlook little words in Scripture, but we must realize that they often carry great spiritual significance. Today, we examine what it means to be baptized into Jesus Christ, and we explore the glorious ramifications of this biblical truth. The scripture text for this edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible, Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Here again is Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse with a message entitled, Baptized into Jesus Christ. Through the Lord Jesus Christ we come unto thee, our Father and our God, and in the Holy Spirit. We thank thee that thou hast made believers one with Christ, and we ask that the fact of that union with him shall so pervade our thinking and our being that we may know what it is to enter into triumphant living by the power of his grace. Speak to each listening heart. We ask it in the name and for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We come today to Romans 6, 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? The portion of the word of which we shall study in this section is even shorter than the text I have cited above. For we shall consider really only the phrase into Christ Jesus. And in one sense, we shall consider only the preposition into. In studying the word of God, we must never underestimate the importance of little words. They are the hardest to define of all the words in the language and the most commonly taken for granted. Take, for example, our common word, set, S-E-T, set. When Dr. J.A.H. Murray was editing the great Oxford English Dictionary, he once told the Philological Society in London that the word set had taken an assistant 40 hours to classify 
and that it would probably take another 40 hours for an editor to complete the work on that word. But when set came to be done, more than 30 years later, it took nearer 40 days than 40 hours, and the definitions and examples of that one word fill 55 columns, which is one column more than 18 pages of the Great Dictionary. There are 154 main definitions of the word, and one of these definitions runs to 44 subdivisions. Little words can be very difficult to comprehend. Now, if I were asked what word in the Bible would be the most difficult to define and explain fully, I should say with little hesitation that it might well be the little word in or into, which is one of the words which Strong's exhaustive concordance says in the preface, the little words are not listed. It is to the task of showing part of the meaning of this word in relation to the believer's position in Christ that I must now address myself. And for the next three or four of these messages, we shall be studying this fact, this word, this idea of being in Christ. Our text says that we were baptized into Christ. And it is a glorious fact that we can say categorically that every believer is in Christ. I do not know of anything that can be of greater value in leading believers to a deepening of the spiritual life in Christ than an understanding of the resources that are ours because of the fact that we are in Christ. And in order to get the most out of our text, we must join it to another, which is to be found in the Corinthian epistle where we read in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. And the context clearly shows that the body is the true church, the body of Christ, the organism and not any form of the organization. Now, putting the two texts together, then we reach the whole truth that in one spirit, the Holy Spirit, we are all baptized into Jesus Christ by being baptized into his body, which is the true church. Now, I'm going to be very technical in my explanation of words, though I trust that I shall not be tediously so. For it is a failure to be technical in the use of words that has caused many divisions within the outward body of Christ. Paul told Timothy to hold fast the form of sound words. Or as it might well be translated, hold fast in the faith and love which is in Christ Jesus, the model of sound words which you received of me. First, however, I shall put an introductory question. How does any man get to be in Christ? The unthinking will hasten to answer that we're put into Christ by the new birth. Now, much as I believe in and teach the necessity of the new birth, I do not think that we enter the body of Christ by that work of the Holy Spirit. Abraham, for example, was born again and thus by faith was in the family of God, but he was not in the body of Christ. All of those who preceded Christ and who had been made alive by the work of the Spirit were born of God, for otherwise they could not have been in his family. The new birth gives us entrance into the family of God. Entrance into the body of Christ is obtained by quite another work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the verse which we have examined from Corinthians sets forth that entrance into the body is not obtained by the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit, but by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Before we're through, we shall point out the difference between the baptism of the Spirit and the filling with the Spirit. We shall be technical about the difference between the two terms. We shall demonstrate from the word of God that no one may ask another believer whether he has been baptized of the Spirit. 
The very fact that a man is in the body of Christ demonstrates that he has been baptized of the Spirit, for there is no other way of entering the body. To call the baptism of the Holy Spirit a second work of grace is as false in New Testament language as any statement of doctrine could be. I do not deny that there is a continuing work of the Holy Spirit, but that continuing work is not the baptism of the Spirit. It is the filling with the Holy Spirit. Everyone who has been baptized of the Spirit is thereby in the body, and everyone who is in the body of Christ has been baptized of the Spirit in order to get there. The moment those simple propositions are understood, there will be an end of the confusion about getting the baptism or being baptized of the Spirit after one has been saved. For a Christian to ask the Lord to baptize him with the Spirit is exactly the same as a married man asking his wife if she will marry him. Tis done, and properly it cannot be twice done. Now before we are able to understand the meaning of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we must spend a few moments on the meaning of the word baptism when used in connection with the work of the Holy Spirit. The meaning of the baptism of the Holy Spirit has been greatly obscured by the fact that the word is also used for water baptism. But in what I am about to say, I want it strictly understood that I am not speaking here of water baptism, and none of my remarks are to be construed in that sense. We are not studying the mode of baptism. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, 5, there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And in that phrase, we find the whole Godhead. The one Lord is God the Father. The one faith is the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one baptism is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's probably no dissent by anyone who has even a little Greek to the fact that the primary root meaning of the Greek words used here, the word baptize, is to plunge, to dip, and to immerse. Certainly. Obviously, these definitions cannot be applied literally to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The difficulty has arisen from the fact that many have failed to understand that there is more than one meaning for the original word for baptize. In any language, there may be literal and metaphorical meanings of a word. The fact that the metaphor rises from the literal in no wise makes it necessary to think in literal terms of the metaphor. Take, for example, our English word iron. It means a certain metal, the most abundant and useful of those that are found in the metallic state. But who would think of metal in finding the meaning of the phrase, he had an iron constitution? Or who would think of metal in hearing that the iron entered into his soul? That phrase, by the way, originated in an error in the Vulgate translation of a Hebrew line in the Psalms and has come down to us through the Anglican prayer book. We all know now, however, when we hear that line, we do not think of the metal whose chemical symbol is F-E, but that the iron there means tribulation, iron entered into his soul. Iron also means courage or hardness or strength of character. Iron means robustness of physical frame. Iron means firmness, stubbornness, or obstinacy of will. Iron means harshness of severity, of treatment. And these are all metaphorical meanings. Now, in exactly the same way, the word baptize has a meaning far removed from anything to do with water. It is the metaphorical meaning of the word that we now seek to set forth because the attempt to think of the liquid, which we now know as two parts of hydrogen and one part of oxygen, in connection with some passages of the Bible leads to more than obscurity. It leads to error. The word baptize means, in its metaphorical sense, a change of identity or to identify. 
In classical Greek drama, a drunken slave is told by another, you're baptized. Now, he obviously has not been immersed. What it means is that his identity has been changed. Nothing has happened to him but with water. He has become a beast, less than a man, and so he is called baptized. A Greek historian uses the word to describe a field which had been a beautiful field of grain, but it had become baptized by battle so that its identity had been changed to a field of carnage and death. It might have been well if every usage of the word baptize had been translated instead of transliterated. Then we would have read, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, identifying them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And one Lord, one faith, one identification. Or again, we would understand the words of the forerunner, John the Identifier, I indeed identify you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall identify you with a holy wind and with fire. As the establishment of this principle is very important, let us turn to one or two instances in the Bible where the literal use of the word baptize makes utter nonsense of the passage and where only the metaphorical use can give us any meaning at all. In the great resurrection chapter of the Corinthians, Paul writes, Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? When we understand this verse in its metaphorical sense, it gives us a great richness of insight into the Christian life and our identification with our Lord Jesus Christ through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Paul has been talking about the resurrection and giving various arguments to show the truth about life after death. He has pointed out that if there is no resurrection, then Christ is not raised. Then he cries out in one of the great triumphant passages of divine revelation, but now Christ is risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. He then shows the eternal consequences of that resurrection, bringing the subject all the way to that future eternity when the son shall turn the kingdom back to the father. Having completed the subject, Paul takes up quite another phase of the argument. He talks about the folly of living a Christian life if there is no resurrection. What fools we Christians are who say that this world is a wilderness through which we must pass to a better land if there is no such thing as a better land. But now let us translate this passage in the metaphorical sense and watch the light break. For what is the sense of being identified as dead men if the dead rise not at all? Why should they be identified as dead? Why should they be crucified with Christ? And why are we standing in jeopardy every hour? Why are we in danger of persecution by the authorities for our way of life? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I am identified with Christ in his death every day. That is, I am baptized every day. Not, of course, with any ceremony, but in the spiritual sense. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what does it get me if the dead rise not? If there is no resurrection, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we will be dead. It is a tremendous passage when we thus understand it. It's one of the great arguments for separation from the world. It is one of the driving impulsions for the establishment of a system of personal priorities, which shall forever teach us to put first things first. Then there is another instance where the word is used in this metaphorical sense and could not possibly be taken literally. 
It is in the chapter in which God describes his displeasure with those who have been highly privileged. We read, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all identified unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, most certainly the children of Israel were not immersed in the Red Sea. The only people who had any water baptism were those of the army of Pharaoh. And they were completely submerged in the waters, never to come forth again. But the fathers of Israel's race who were being brought out of Egypt began their sojourn with a complete change of mind and heart, so that figuratively they had a new identity at the moment. They had come out of Egypt with a bitter complaining attitude toward Moses. Their constant refrain, which they admitted had been their song before the Lord put another in their mouths, was, Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in this wilderness. And then the Lord manifested his power. The nation saw Moses stretch forth his hand over the sea. The wind began to blow. And in the morning there was a path through the sea. The cloud of God had come down behind them. And they saw the glory of God stand between them and the host of Pharaoh. They took their goods and chattels, their flocks and herds their old folk and their little ones, and they marched into the strange valley and threw it to safety. On the west side of the sea, they had been against Moses. On the east side of the sea, they were for Moses. The difference is called baptism. They had become identified with Moses. What happened later was another question. God became displeased with them when they did not live up to the high privileges that had become theirs by the signal deliverance which he had accorded them. But when they emerged from the Red Sea, they were baptized unto Moses. They had changed their identity from whimpering complainers to eager followers. Now, having established the metaphorical meaning of the word baptize, let us now look at the word body, into which we are identified. And again, we realize at once that this word must not be taken in its literal sense, but in its metaphorical sense. We are not baptized into the hands and feet of Christ in the physical sense. We're identified with that great body of former sons of Adam who have been taken out of their relationship with their first father in order to be united to the Lord Jesus Christ as sons of the heavenly father by the work of the Holy Spirit who joins us to God's dear son. The dictionary shows 30 definitions of the word body, all of which are most carefully distinguished the one from the other. The use of the word in our sense is a figurative one, which comes from that marvelous phenomenon that is ever present with us and of which we frequently take such little notice that every action of our body is really performed at the command of our head. And that's what it means to be in Christ's body, to be under the command of our glorious head, the Lord Jesus. Perhaps the most amazing example of physical dexterity which has ever come under my notice is that recorded of Dr. Alexis Carrel, the famous French physician, Nobel Prize winner in medicine, and one-time glory of the Rockefeller Institute in New York. When Dr. Carrel was a boy, he determined that he was going to be a surgeon, and he began at a very early age to prepare his hands to give them flexibility and suppleness to perform delicate operations. He secured the cover of a matchbox, and placing it over the two smallest fingers of either hand, he taught himself at great pains to take stitches 
with a needle and suture, joining the edges of cigarette paper together in the narrow confines of the box top and tying a fine knot in the suture to finish off the operation which he had thus performed. Years later, when he performed actual surgery, he amazed the medical world by the manipulative skill, adroit and dexterous, with which he worked in narrow recesses of the human body. Dr. Carell's head was in complete mastery of his fingers. Now, in the domain of the spiritual life, we are frequently awkward because we have not allowed the head, the Lord Jesus, to control our coordination and teach us the possibilities of complete domination by our Lord. He has set before us in the word the possibility of bringing into captivity every thought into the obedience of Christ. The world will never look at clumsy handlers of the problems of life, but the world even will stop in some awe before the life that has allowed itself to be trained to a skillful proficiency in the craft of Christian living. Men did not admire the fingers, but the head of Carell. And men will not admire the man, but the Lord Jesus, when they see your good works. Our Lord himself has said that such living would cause men to glorify our Father which is in heaven. This, then, is the body relationship into which we are identified by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We grow up into the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, it's not the physical body of Christ into which we are identified by the Spirit, but into that sovereign intelligence which articulates lives. This is a great truth, but it's not all the truth concerning the work of the Holy Spirit in placing us in Christ. There is something else which I believe transcends even that which we have seen of our place in him and it can be brought out only through the study of the word in and into. There are at least 120 verses in Paul's epistles where the word in is used before one of the names of our Lord or before a pronoun which represents him. If you know any verses by memory beyond John 3.16, you'll probably find that several of these contain the little word in before the name of Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation accepted in the beloved. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And the list will grow long as we proceed with our study. So the thesis of the next four studies that we will have in this series is that when we are baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, not water baptism, but when we are baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, when we were identified with him, it was a work by the Holy Spirit which placed us in Christ positionally in the whole scope of his being and work from eternity to eternity. We shall take many of these verses which place us in Christ and arrange them in a chronological order which will show us that we have been placed in Christ from before the foundation of the world and that we have been counted as being in Christ in all that he did while here on earth and that we are looked upon as being in Christ where he is today and in what he is now doing and that we shall be found in Christ forever and forever. Part of this great truth has been obscured by a very common statement in our churches that is partly false because it is only partly true. And the difficulty is not lessened because some people hold to the part truth with passionate desire. 
So let them understand that I am not taking away their part truth. I am adding much, much more to their faith. The statement that is only partly true is that water baptism is a symbol of death, burial, and resurrection. Yes, yes, yes. But it is much, much more. Well, we shall, in the Lord willing, proceed in our next studies to show some of the vast riches that are ours because we are in Christ, because we have been joined to our Lord in the identity of his body, and because we have been identified into his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and much more. And our God and Father, we pray thee that the Holy Spirit shall take the word to each heart. Give restlessness to those who are not saved, but upon all thy redeemed own. May thy grace, thy mercy, and thy peace abide. And to thee be all the glory. Now, till the Lord Jesus come again and forever. Amen. Every believer is a part of the body of Christ, and he is our living head. We are to submit to his lordship and sovereign control in every area of our lives. We hope you have benefited from today's message by Dr. Barnhouse entitled, Baptized into Jesus Christ. You can listen to additional Bible teaching by the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse anytime, anywhere around the globe via the Internet by visiting the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals website at alliancenet.org. An audio copy of today's teaching is available by calling us toll-free. 1-800-488-1888 Today's message again is entitled Baptized into Jesus Christ or simply ask for message number R6-5 We would also like to make available to you a free copy of our booklet entitled Your Right to Heaven Many people believe they have a right to go to heaven based on their good works or moral character but the Bible teaches us that we are all sinners and deserve eternal condemnation this free booklet sets forth the gospel declaration that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose again to give eternal life to all who trust in Him. You do have a right to heaven based on the person of Jesus Christ and His finished work of salvation. Ask for your free copy of Your Right to Heaven when you call or write. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is a radio ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals headquartered in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals exists to promote a biblical understanding and worldview. Drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformation theologians from decades and even centuries gone by, we seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching materials which will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible comes to you through the generous gifts of our listeners. If you have benefited from the broadcast and would like it to continue, please prayerfully consider a donation to help us keep this ministry on the air. For more information or to make a contribution to support and further our work, please contact us by writing Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 19103. Call toll-free 1-800-488-1888 or visit us online at alliancenet.org. Be sure to ask for a free updated resource catalog featuring books, audio teachings, commentaries, booklets, daily devotionals, videos, and a wealth of other materials from outstanding Reformed teachers and theologians, including Donald Gray Barnhouse, James Montgomery Boyce, Michael Horton, and Martin Lloyd-Jones. Join us again next time for more classic teaching on Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible.